Good morning. I'm not going to play that guitar, trust me. But it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, this morning, the title of the message is called A Good, Good Father, and we're going to sing about it a little bit later. And I kept thinking, you know, why can't we be a good, good father, except we're not perfect in every way. But uh, so this morning, I want to just give you a little bit of a flavor of what a good, good father looks like. One of the guys that described the, the father was a guy named Paul Harvey. Some of you remember him, and he wrote this. He said, a father is a creature that is forced to endure childbirth without any anesthetic. A father growls when he feels good and laughs when he's scared half to death. A father never feels worth of the worship in his child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks she is and never the man his son believes him to be, and this worries him sometimes. So he works too hard to try to smooth the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. A father gets angry when the school grades aren't as good as he thinks they should be, so he scolds his son, though he knows it's the teacher's fault. A father gives his daughter away to another man who is not nearly good enough so he can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody else's. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. You know, Moses did a great job of preparing fathers for crossing over the Jordan into the Promised Land. And so he gave them a charge in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want you to look at it with me this morning because there are three parts to this challenge, I think, that helps us understand what a good, good father looks like. It says there, these are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Great scripture, great challenge. We're going to break that out a little bit this morning to kind of invest into our own lives as to what a good, good father looks like. My first point is this, is that we need to invest in an annuity. Why do I say that? Well, if you understand what an annuity does, you invest in it all of your life, hopefully, as you're preparing for retirement. And what it does is it pays you out a certain portion of that every month for the rest of your life. Well, that's kind of what Moses was talking about in verse 2. When he said, keep God's commands so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. So he's saying, when you invest in your kids and in your grandkids, that investment is a re- gets a return for the rest of your life, and as long as you're, even when you're gone. So the first principle I want to share with you this morning is this. Your obedience as a father is an investment that will keep on giving to your children and your grandchildren. I was very, very blessed to have a pair of grandparents that really loved the Lord. In fact, I brought along something this morning that I forgot in the first service. I had to run home and get it. This guitar is an old beater. I can't play it. But uh, this guitar was actually played by my grandma on a gospel wagon in 1890, traveling around with a gospel circuit rider. This is a part of the investment that she made. And my other grandma who took us grandsons on trips during spring break, always said that she wanted one grandson to be a preacher. And uh, so I was able to be the one that fulfilled that dream of hers. But we're so blessed when you have a grandparent who's willing to invest and who has a life that has, bears a testimony and passes that on from one generation to the next. 
as I thought about that, I thought there are seven really things that we can give our grandchildren, because there's a lot of grandparents sitting here this morning, and these are things that we can give to our kids as a dad as well. But I, I thought the first one was your walk of faith, and, and I was so blessed, and Lynn was so blessed to have all our set of grandparents that knew Jesus and passed that heritage on to us through our parents and into our lives. It's such a blessing. So your walk of faith. You know, hey, grandma and grandpa, or dad or mom, have you ever shared your testimony with your kids? Do they know how you came to Jesus? That's a great step in understanding that you have a walk of faith. I know uh, my wife's mom passed away a number of years ago, and she never really knew the whole story about when mom gave her life to Christ. But it's interesting, on the very day that she was, uh, we honored her in a memorial service, there was a podium that was sitting in front of the church that was taken out because there was going to be a 150-year celebration for that church. And that old podium was an old beater po- podium that was set in storage, but it came out. And when, when Lynn's uncle told Lynn that, hey, you know what, that's where your mom knelt before the Lord and gave her life to Christ. I mean, these are wonderful stories that we need to be telling. If you remember, Pastor Scott a few weeks ago talked about the resurrection stories. What about your kids? What about your grandkids? Do they know your testimony? Do they know when you gave your life to Christ? Your walk of faith is critical. How about the history that you've, in, you've uh, actually been a part of and your kids and your grandkids haven't been? I was just uh, scooping some ice cream with my grandson here the other day. Uh, my daughter was having an art fair for her art classes, and so we were scooping ice cream. And my 17-year-old grandson, he said, Hey, Grandpa, tell me what it was like during the Vietnam era. Were you around when President Kennedy was shot? I mean, do we realize that we've lived a lifetime of experience of history, and it's so fun to bond with your kids and your grandkids to be able to tell those stories that you lived that they only are reading in a textbook, just sharing history. I say that because in verses 20 and 21, it says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and the laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do we tell those stories? Do we tell those stories of how God used and, and blessed you along your life's journey? Our history is so important to our kids and grandkids to know how we lived our lives and what we did. You know, I mean, even when your grandkids ask you, did you have cars, you know, when you were there? Yeah, I mean, crazy stuff like that. It's just a lot of fun. Here's the third thought. As grandparents, we can create and give kids new skill sets, right? Because sometimes parents are so busy and we have different skill sets and and abilities and it might be sewing, it might be some sort of craft, it might be mechanics, it might be cooking. Who knows what you can pass on to your grandkids that maybe mom and dad were unable to do. So, New skill sets. I think about wisdom from life lessons. I mean, to to just be able to share with your kids and your grandkids to say, you know what, when I was your age, this is what I struggled with. This is how I what I learned in that process. And it's a great way to bond with your grandkids and again pass that legacy of honesty and vulnerability to them. Then there's listening. You know, it seems what's really interesting is that we get so busy as parents in our culture today that just listening to our kids it almost becomes, it's really tough. And and we we find ourselves all going in different directions and being so active that we forget about just simply listening. And as a grandparent, we can invest that time because hopefully we don't have a lot on our plates. And our grandkids should be something that's really uh, an opportunity for us to kind of do over, you know what I mean, as a parent, to be able to, to listen to our grandkids. And then that emotional support that we can give them and finally just our time. One of the things that we did with our grandkids 
back in the day, about, uh, actually it was about 14 years ago now, we started a thing called Cousins Camp. Now we have four grandkids, and every summer we would take the kids on some sort of a journey with Cousins Camp. It started when our youngest was only one year old. And uh, each year we would come up with a, a game plan and a, and a, and a theme. Uh, one year it was forestry, one year it was a space camp, and one year we went to the beach and all those kinds. And we invested in those kids. And we have a scrapbook, and it's just so fun to look back. And I hope that someday our grandkids will look back and say, wow, those are really good times. So investing that, that time and that energy is a great opportunity for you. As a, some, for some of us even as a do-over. So that's the first point I want to make. We invest, and that investment goes on and on and on from generation to generation. So what, what has your investment been, and what are those generations be, behind you are going to look back at your life and say, wow, I remember when, you know, that was a major influence in my life. Here's the second thought. He goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, there are various interpretations of what this really means, but in reality, if we just simplify this in saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, that's our inner being, right? We at least know that much. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. So he's saying, what needs to happen is there needs to be integrity between what you do on the inside of your life and the way your life is actually led. So he's saying, listen, you got to be all in if you're going to be a dad or a grandpa. He, and so the principle number two is to be good fathers, we must have an in, internal devotion to God that is reflected by our outward obedience. Your kids need to know that you are a spiritual person. They need to know that you are all in spiritually, Dad. They need to know that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, Grandpa. They need to know that. And a part of that starts by what I shared earlier of maybe just sharing our testimonies of how Jesus came into our own lives. See, that devotion, they've got to be seen. They've got to experience it. They've got to, they've got to know who you are spiritually. And if you don't talk about it, if you don't model it somehow in your life that you are fully sold out to the Lord Jesus and it's really being reflected by your behavior, it's going to create a double message for you if that doesn't happen. So here's the first way that we can do that. Number one is to love their mom with a sacrificial love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's saying, listen, Dad, you've got to love Mom. That's your first priority. And your kids need to know that you love Mom so unconditionally that you're willing to do whatever it takes to sacrifice for her. Just a few uh, weeks ago, I was able to counsel with a couple who don't know Jesus, and they were about ready to separate in their marriage. And I said to the two of them, I said, what's been your highest priority as a couple? And they said, our kids. He said, our kids come first, period. I said, it's pretty ironic to me that you put your kids first, and now you're going to divorce and leave them hanging. I said, something doesn't add up here. He needed to put his wife first, and she needed to put her husband first. You know, the greatest fear in a child's life today in our local cultural economy is that every kid has one major fear, and that is that mom and dad are going to break up. That's a huge fear. So by loving your mom, by loving their mom, you are really giving them a gift of being all in spiritually. Does that make sense? Secondly, 
Don't exasperate your kids. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And, and, and what it really means in the translation is that don't provoke your children to wrath or to anger. You can, you can make your kids pretty angry. And some of you are probably living some of that yet in your own life where your parents or your dad provoked you to that anger and exasperated you and you're still trying to live with that baggage in your life. Well, how can fathers do that? I thought of about seven ways that we can do that. I'm sure there are more, but I just thought it'd be interesting to whet our appetites in understanding this. But one of the ways that we can really exasperate our kids is by well-meaning overprotection, where we become such a hovering parent and so overprotective, we don't give our kids a chance to slip and fall and fail and and, and learn from their mistakes and, and from their pains and aches. That's a part of life so that when they are released from the nest, they really understand that principle. And sometimes parents overprotect and overcontrol and that becomes very exasperating to kids. Secondly, playing favorites. We know from Scripture how favorites were played frequently, whether it was David or whether it was Joseph, because dads have a tendency to pick a kid and maybe play favorites, and that creates a lot of jealousy and internal strife within the family. It's just a a horrible thing to do. In fact, it really happens a lot when there's a blended family and you have a tendency to favor your biological child. That's really dangerous. Playing favorites can really exasperate kids. Here's a third thought. Pushing achievement beyond reasonable expectations. Were you the kind of kid that when you came home with your report card and you got all A's and one B and your dad said, you can get an A in there? And, and, or, or, you know, at some point, you know, you've reached a threshold of your learning and your experience and yet they want you to pursue more and more and more, whether it's athletics or academics or whatever it is. And consequently, you feel like, you know what, I can't. I can't measure it up. And sometimes parents live vicariously through their kids and have too high of expectations of things that they never accomplished. So that can really exasperate a kid. Fourth, we can ne- never complimenting or, or, or uh, being critical of our kids. You know, maybe you grew up in a home where you just feel like you could never please, you could never do enough. I was thinking about our friend Don Wallace who passed away recently and in his, his little bi- biography of his life, how he felt like his dad was an L.A. police officer and how hard he was on him and, and Don felt like for the rest of his life he was trying to prove that he, he could be liked and that he could, he could actually, so he ended up being this proverbial people pleaser because he could never please his dad. How about physical or verbal abuse? Some of you probably experienced that growing up. And how difficult it was for you and how it angered you and frustrated you and exasperated you with that kind of stuff coming from your parent. Simply just being unavailable. You know, I've seen in our culture today where, where parents are so busy and we've got our kids going in so many different directions that when we are home, Dad, sometimes we're not at home. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes when we're our home, we're just really not that available. We want to veg out. We've had a hard day. It's been a tough day. And consequently, we're not there to really listen and respond to our kids and their needs. And so we've become unavailable, even though we're present. Seventh, sometimes just plain unwilling to admit we are wrong. You know, I found that what really frustrates more than anything is a parent or somebody who just is so egotistical or has such a pride factor that they never make themselves vulnerable. And I think it's really important for a dad to be vulnerable with his kids and to let them know, you know, when I mess up, to apologize. It's okay. They need to know that dad messes up too and be willing to admit it and apologize. It's a great role model and example. Well, thirdly, not only do we not need to exasperate our kids, 
we've got to be cultivating personal spiritual growth. Um, Let's look at Colossians. It says, so then just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He's saying, listen, it's not just good enough to be saved. It's not just good enough to be, quote, have a testimony of who, uh, knowing Christ. You've got to make sure that you hold yourself accountable to continue to grow and be rooted in God's love. That means that you need to maybe have your own devotional life. You need to have a prayer life. You need to be able to, to be in a small group where you're, where you're held somewhat of a, accountable. You need to be in church. You need to find those different methods that help you grow spiritually so that when your kids are watching you, they can see how dad and mom are actually developing spiritually in their own lives. So my question to you this morning, are you all in spiritually? Those three governing factors should be a piece that maybe you need to work on in your own personal life. Well, let's look at the third concept that I think Moses brings up in, his, in chapter, verses 7 through 9. He says, impress them on your children... Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me share with you principle number three. The way you live your life is a classroom for your children. In other words, our kids are watching you every day. And the way you live your life, you notice how he says as you walk along the way, as you, as you lay down at night, there, there's a constant flow of information being conveyed to your kids on a day-to-day basis, and they're watching. I'll never forget, my son's sitting here, and he'll vouch for this. He would say to me when he was younger, he said, Dad, I'm watching you. I'm watching you like a hawk. And you know, pastors live in a glass house. But you know, every one of us live in a glass house because our kids are watching us. They're getting signals from us day in and day out. And it's sad when you see a a high schooler or somebody saying, you know, my parents are hypocrites. They're watching us. Your life is always on display in front of your kids. When, when, when from morning until night, it's just a fact. Watch this video. I think it really is powerful. Our kids are watching, aren't they? Let me just share some thoughts as I conclude this morning. It's been studied by secular psychologists and secular people all over the country how influential a dad is in a child's life. Everything I read from secular writers, they say how critical it is for dad to invest in the family because they've seen studies where kids who have been invested by their dad have more emotional stability, they're more emotionally secure, they have less behavioral problems, and and they're stronger students academically. And I find it fascinating that secular people are writing all of these things when one in three kids live in a home with one parent in our culture today. It's a sad, sad commentary But I want to encourage you as a dad and as a grandpa this morning, what a powerful influence you do have 
And for some of you as a grandparent, you feel like, you know what, maybe I I wish I would have done things differently. Man, as a grandparent, it's a do-over. It's an opportunity for you to still have a great influence in your grandkids' lives and even in your adult children. So I want to encourage you to realize how powerful the influence that you have as a father. We all know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that your image of the good, good father is what your earthly father has represented to you. And for some of you, you haven't had that kind of uh, a father who is, who is invested in your life in such a positive way. And it's been a struggle maybe for you to have that relationship to your heavenly father because of what your earthly father had modeled to you. Here's the second thought I had when I was doing this message, and that is it's never too late to start having a more godly influence in your kids' and your grandkids' life. Some of you say, well, my parenting's over. No, it's not. You're still a dad, and you're still a grandpa, and if there are things in the past that you wish you would have done, now's an opportunity for you to take that step and to really have a more positive influence in your kids' lives. You know, we're so blessed because we have, our grandkids have been in Prescott and, and Scottsdale over our, 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 parent, our grandparenting life, and so it's been a lot easier for us to invest in our kids and our grandkids. But for some of you, maybe you need to make an extra special effort because it's still an opportunity to leave that legacy to pass on from generation to generation. Here's the third thought I had. Never stop praying for your kids and your grandkids. You know, it, it's, it's hard. We're praying for one of our grandkids desperately every day. We have been for the last two years. And sometimes you just feel like you're so helpless. You know, you're so powerless. But I shared in the first service, my son was riding with his sister here not too long ago in the car, and he said, you know, Jody, I think I got this straight, but he said, you know, when I was going through my tough times and I was rebelling and doing all kinds of dumb things, you know what kept me in the game? Mom and dad praying. We don't know how powerful our prayers are either. I don't know. But doggone it, we never should stop praying, amen? Never stop praying for your kids and your grandkids. Here's the fourth thought. God's grace is sufficient for those who may be a single parent this morning. I know that there are single moms in this church. There may be even single dads here. God's grace is sufficient. And one of the ways that he becomes sufficient is that we need to point them to our heavenly father, right? Because he's the good, good father. It's helpful to bring male people into their kids' lives so that they have that male influence. But really, in reality, when it all comes down to boils down, it's about our Heavenly Father being the good, good Father. You know, when my dad passed away and I felt like now I'm at the top of the food chain, I no longer could blame my dad or depend on my dad. I had to depend on my dad, Abba Father. His grace is sufficient. No matter what the circumstances, and by the way, isn't it only by God's grace that our kids turn out at all? So let me ask you a couple questions when I close here. If you're a grandparent this morning, what steps might you take to have a greater godly influence in your grandchildren's life? What do you plan to do? could be Skype. I mean, it could be one of those things. It, it could be, you know, phone calls. It could be more visits. I don't know what it looks like for you, but it's not over. It's not over. 
Here's the second thing that I want to ask you. In what ways has your marriage contributed to the emotional and spiritual development of your kids? See, my question is, are you investing dad in mom? Are you loving mom with all your heart so that your kids know without a doubt that there is a solidarity and a love in the mom and dad that can give them the security and the hope that they too can have a good relationship someday? Here's the third question that I have, and there's probably many of you sitting here like this. Have you overcome the exasperating parenting that you received in your life? Some of you had a father who abandoned you. Some of you had fathers who abused you. Some of you have had fathers that just were not available for you. Some of you had fathers that were critical of you and, and you could never measure up. Have you unloaded that baggage yet spiritually? Have you been able to forgive? Are you able to move on so that you can be a healthy dad in your life? These are some things things we need to wrestle with. And so I ask you, how are you doing? I'm going to give you an opportunity here to do something this morning that normally I don't, but um, this morning I just want to do that. If you're a dad here this morning, or you're a granddad this morning, and something that I've shared with you that God is speaking to you that has really sort of kind of zipped you and penetrated you in your own heart, And this morning, you feel like, you know what? I need to put a stake in the ground here. I need to make some decisions here as a dad and as a grandpa. Because there's some things that maybe you've been piercing your heart this morning. And this morning, you want to just do some business with God. And you should be courageous enough to come up front here and kneel before God. Nobody's going to bug you. It's between you and the Lord. But I want to encourage you as a dad or as a grandpa that if there's something that's been missing that I've shared with you this morning that you want to work on, that you want to invest in, that you want to make a difference, then come forward here and get it, get it squared away with God and then go out of here making that application stick in your life. Find some accountability and go for it because, guys, we got a great opportunity here. Fathering is one of the hardest jobs on the planet and God's given us the grace to pull it off, so let's try it, amen? So, guys, as we sing this last song, Good, Good Father, if God is speaking to you this morning in any way, shape, or form, get up out of your seat and come down here and do some business with the Lord, will you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share on Father's Day. God, I thank you for being the good, good father, perfect in every way. I know my dad wasn't perfect, and I'm not perfect. But God, I do know this, that your grace is sufficient, and that you want us to keep at it, and to keep growing, and to keep investing, and to be all in spiritually. And for those men that are sitting here this morning, God, if you're speaking to them, I pray they'd be courageous enough to come up here and rededicate their idea of what a parent is all about, our grandparent God, because I know that you're speaking to somebody here this morning. So I give this next few moments to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.
I love that scene. So here's my question for you before I close this in prayer. Are you giving God your best? Are you giving him your absolute best? Or are you walking around with a defeatist attitude? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for assembling us here this morning on your day. A day that we may reflect on you and worship you. Father, we ask that through this week that you would make us a mighty warrior for you. That we would fight the noble fight. That we would remember to reflect upon you, lean upon you, find time for you, and remember why we're here in the first place. Father, sometimes we need help with our infectious attitude, an attitude that doesn't portray the light as you would have. I pray, Lord, that today that we would be motivated, that you would motivate the men and women here, the men and women who call you Lord, and motivate those who may not call you Lord yet, those that need to make a decision to lean upon you, that need to call upon you to fill that void in their life. I would ask you, Lord, to do that for them here today. Father, make us that one, that one noble warrior that leads the rest and brings the rest home. Lord, I pray that when Satan looks at the men and women in this room, he realizes we have some mighty warriors and some real fighters for the gospel and the good news. I thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.